Hello, passengers, and welcome to the Midnight Train, America's second favorite podcast, where we bring the dark to light, where history never dies, where listener discretion is always advised, and where we just need a few more taglines to get us past that 30-second mark so we can swear. I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> if you're new here, listen, uh, we love to make fun of and joke about that creeping unsolved things and mysteries uh, throughout the entire world uh, while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. Yeah, we're kind of a, po- a comedy podcast here. We make fun of things, and uh, but, but we still try to, you know, bring you the info, and things can get dark from time to time. A little bit. So if you can't handle that, listen, we get it. Just give us a shot and uh, let us know. And, uh, you know, if you can, well, welcome aboard and choo-choo. Motherfuckers. Hey, <laughs> I made it. it. <laughs> I am the host, right? The host with the most, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer. And with me today is my co host, sitting in his beautiful chair with his beautiful hair and his freshly shaved face. That's very, uh. It's Logan Sayer. Yay. I feel naked. I don't like it. You look different. <laughs> you definitely look different. So listen, our Patreon bonus this week, we're actually going to be talking about whom? Um, some, uh, some, some, some guy who did a thing in a place. His well, name? Well, you're not wrong at all. His name? Yeah. Um, if you, if you fuck get, that guy. Yeah, well, it is definitely an F that guy. Uh, and we're going to be talking about this. Brian Christopher Kohlberger. Yeah, and if you don't know who that is, uh, recently this dude was uh, basically, well, he was arrested for murdering viciously murdering four uh college students yeah and uh it it just happened like at the like just a couple of months ago yep so we're gonna go in and we're gonna talk about that whole thing and uh you know and do it the the way we do it oh yeah in true f that guy style so if you want to listen to that as well as all of the other bonuses head on over to patreon.com forward slash the midnight train podcast sign up and for as little as five doll hairs a month It'd be amazing if people started sending us actual doll hairs. Oh, man. Please don't do that. It's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, for just five bucks a month, you get all the bonuses and all the cool stuff that's uh, you know associated with it. So sign up over there or at the midnighttrainpodcast.com. That is the midnighttrainpodcast.com, our official web sizzite. Okay? Now, yeah. listen, um, before we get going here, um, so recently... Satan, Isaiah, and Mustache, uh, they all decided that they wanted to go look for Sam Socks because mm. Sam Socks, um, nobody can find him. Right. Because he went looking for himself. Ah, yes. Which is kind of counterproductive. Yeah. I don't understand. Maybe he's just not the brightest um, paranormal creature in the world. I mean, and it's possible. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I, but uh, so uh, this was yesterday evening. Uh, I got a voicemail. You did? Yeah. Oh, man. I got a voicemail from uh, from Isaiah. Oh, boy. So I figure I'll play it so you guys can hear it real fast. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. All right, hold on. Hey, Jonathan and Logan, listen. We're out here looking for this damn Sam Squinch or Sam Socks or whatever the hell damn name is. And Satan's being a real prick. I'm not real sure what his problem is. I don't think he had his breakfast or something. He's just walking around bitching and moaning about soul. I don't understand. Fucking mustache, that fuzzy fuck. He is at the West Virginia weather down here. Got him all Twitter painted. He's all he's all fluffy. And he just keeps going on about some asshole named Hitler. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we're out here and we're looking. And if we find anything, we'll definitely let you know. Okay. Now listen. If I don't make it back, 
I just want y'all to know. And that's where it left off. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Do you ever give him a chance to call him back? Or oh, he's in West Virginia Hills, though. Yeah, he's got like no reception or something Damn. down there. I don't, I don't know. What, I, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. But listen, if I hear anything back from him, um, I will we'll definitely keep you guys posted. I mean, yeah. it's all we can really do. You know, uh, I don't really. Uh, hopefully, they're okay down there. I mean, he's with Satan. Satan. Satan's got his shit together. Oh yeah, for the most part. I mean, it was kind of cold though. It is kind of cold. You think he'll be okay? I think he'll be all right. But I think he'll just run away from everybody else, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mustache doesn't have any arms or legs or anything, so I don't even know how he's getting around. But, you know, <laughs> just being a fluffy fuck. I wonder if he's just, like, on Satan's lip. Oh, so that'd, be, that'd be kind of a, a weird. That sounds like a new shirt design to me. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Chaplin style. Yeah, that'd exactly. Uh, all right, so we're going to save the rest of the business stuff until the end. So let's get into this amazing story. Uh, let's, uh, you know, turn down the lights. Ooh. Adjust our seats, mm-hmm. grab a drink, okay, and uh, let's get to escaping. <laughs> no, no, damn it! Let's get Alcatrazical. How about welcome to the rock? <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of that today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the rock. This is a toast, baby. Toast all you beautiful motherfuckers. This song is so, like, it's epic. <laughs> J-Fro. <laughs> all right, man. I hope all of you are out there doing great. Hope you're, uh, you know, the new year's kicking off for you pretty well. Oh, man, we've got all kinds of stuff happening over on this side. Uh, I guess I might as well just, you know, say it again. But uh, Icons and Outlaws, we're going to be coming out with uh, new episodes for that as well. So uh, make sure you guys find that wherever you listen to your favorite and or second favorite podcast. Oh, yeah. And uh, tell your friends. Tell your friends about us. Tell your friends about everything. You know what I mean? Because that's the best way to get things around. And oh, shizzle. So it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. So now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I don't really feel like that's a very good very good Sean Connery. No, that's not. Hold on. Let me see if I... Ladies. Nope. Nope. Ladies and gentlemen. Nope. Oh, wait. Fuck it. Never <laughs> So a small island called Alcatraz Island is located 1.25 miles or 2.01 kilometers offshore of San Francisco, California, right here in the United States. In the middle of the 19th century, a military jail, a fortification, and a lighthouse on the island were built. Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary, a federal prison, was established on the island in 1934. The prison became one of the most notorious in American history since escape was practically, practically Hmm. impossible Hmm. due to the island's chilly water and strong currents. The island became a popular tourist destination after the government shut the jail down in 1963. And, of course, if you've ever seen the movie The Rock, yes, you know what we're talking about as far as, you know, um, the, the island. Oh, do we? Yeah. Ooh, that was a little better. That was better. Sean Connery. <laughs> well, it was. Shaken. Not and then there's, then there's, what's his name? Uh, um, damn it, who's the other guy? Nicholas Cage. Yeah, Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah Nick Cage was in that. It's a great movie. Great Such movie. a good movie. So, anyway, there's going to be a lot of really horrible Sean Connery imitations <laughs> all day today. 
So a group of Native Americans occupied the island starting in November of 1969 for more than 19 months. Mainly hailing from San Francisco, the group later included AIM and other urban Indians from across the nation who were part of a wave of Native American activists organizing public protests throughout the U.S. in the 1970s. Okay? Got you. As a result, Alcatraz was given to the Department of uh, Interior in 1972 to be included in the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. Oh. In 1986, it received the designation of National Historic Landmark. Oh, wow. Yes. Nice. It is nationally historic as fuck. (laughs) The National Park Service oversees the island's facilities as part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. From Pier 33, situated between the San Francisco Ferry Building and Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, visitors, that's right, you guys can go out there and check this place out. They can get to the island in less than 15 minutes by ferry. Ooh. Yeah. In addition, Hornblower Cruises run official ferries to and from the island under the name Alcatraz Cruises. (laughs) Yeah, so obviously that's what they would call it. So the abandoned federal prison, the oldest operating lighthouse on the United States West Coast, and historic military fortifications are all located on the island, right? Right. And remember the natural attractions, including rock pools and a seabird colony consisting primary, uh, primarily of western gulls, Ooh. Uh, cormorants. Yes, those are really pretty. And egrets. Egrets are nice, too. Yeah, I have a lot of egrets. Yeah. Yeah, you know, having kids early. Um <laughs> I was thinking more of the koi fish that you lost, but that works too. Yeah, no, no, no. I was, it's regrets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Regerts. Regerts. Lots of regerts. The island's dimensions are 1,675 uh, feet, okay, by 590 feet, and 130 feet at its highest point during mean tide, the opposite of nice time. So, just insane. According to a 1971 documentary on the history of Alcatraz, the, the island has a supposed total area of 22 acres. It's a pretty big plot. It's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad. During the Spanish occupation of California, Spanish naval commander and explorer Juan Manuel de Ayala. 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 (laughs) Juan Manuel de Ayala. Nice. Is that better? That's much better. Okay. Surveyed San Francisco Bay in 1775, becoming the first European to record the islands of San Francisco Bay. Not bad. He derived the name of the present-day Yerba Buena Island from the old Spanish Alcatraz, La Isla de los Or- Al- Alcatraces. Is it La Isla? La Is? No. It's Isla. No, it's not. It's Isla Muerte. It's not Isla. Muerte is not in there. It's the, <laughs> the death of Ireland. That's, I don't think that's it. <laughs> so, which it actually translates as the Island of the Gannets. Nice. Yes. But it is usually taken to mean the Island of the Pelicans. Pelican Island? Pelican Island. Isn't there an actual Pelican Island? I, Hold on. Probably. That just made me think of something. Right. So because there are no native gannets along the Pacific coast, the earlier Spanish usage is more likely. Okay. So now you're probably sitting there asking yourself, just like I am sitting here and going self, what the fuck is a gannet? <laughs> anyway, did you find it? Yeah, I was right. There is Pelican Island? There is a Pecan Island. <laughs> That's close. It's in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> so gannets are seabirds comprising the genus Morris in the family Sulidae, closely related to my wife's favorite birds, boobies. Oh, I love boobies. Blue-footed. Boobies. Red-footed. Big old boobies. They're the prettiest things in the world, man. And those are birds, Grace, just so you know. Yes, we those are boobies. Birds. Yes. Gannets are large white birds with yellowish heads, black-tipped wings, and long bills. 
Northern gannets are the largest seabirds in the North Atlantic, having a wingspan of up to two meters. Damn. That's a big bird. That's a big bitch. That's a, that's a huge bitch. <laughs> so later, Captain Frederick W. Beachy, an English naval officer and explorer, gave the name uh, to the island today known as Alcatraz Island. Uh-huh. Okay. The Spanish translation, Alcatraz, has gained popularity and is now often used. French Captain Augusta Bernard du hat I'm thinking that's right. Yeah, that that's pretty right? good. That's pretty good. French. Ha ha ha. Captain Augusta Bernard du hat Silly Buhata. It's time to get silly. It could be Killy. I don't know. Or Chili? Yeah, maybe Chili. Maybe? Willy. No. It's, no? It's no. Oh. For instance, he wrote, quote, Passing Alcatraz's Pelican Island, which was completely covered in these birds. The feathered legions rose in a huge cloud and made a hurricane-like noise when a rifle was fired above them. It is unknown if the island is still home to nesting California brown pelicans on the island. The Spanish constructed several modern structures from that. Okay, from that right. point. I just think it's hilarious that they were just going by it. We're like, look at all the birds. Quick, give me your gun. <laughs> I just want to see. Ha <laughs> ha! When they're just gone. You know yep. what I mean? Like just trying it out. So Julian Workman, who received the island from Mexican governor uh, Pio Pico in June of 1846, with the agreement that Workman would erect a lighthouse there, is the first known private owner of Alcatraz. Ooh. Okay. William Workman, co-owner of Rancho La Puente, and a close friend of Pio Pico, was given the baptismal name Julian Workman. Ah. Okay. So he was originally William. Uh-huh. And now he is Julian. Or Julian. 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 <laughs> My name is Julian, Julian Workman. That doesn't sound... Anyway. <laughs> so later in 1846, John C. Fremont paid Francis Temple $5,000 to purchase the island on behalf of the United States government while serving as the military governor of California. Damn. I wish I could buy an island for $5,000. This is 1846 money, though. Yeah, it's probably like... It's a lot more. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it's probably a lot. It's... Yeah. Yeah. So in 1850, President Miller to Fillmore, that, you know, that president no one really talks about... Mm-hmm issued an executive order designating Alcatraz Island as a separate military reservation. What did you say? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> reservation. A separate military reservation for the United States in light of the country's recent annexation of California from Mexico due to the Mexican-American War. Right? Fremont was under the assumption he would be receiving a sizable award for taking the initiative to secure Alcatraz Island for the American government. Right? Ooh. He's like, well, if I do this, I'm sure they're going to pay me handsomely. Yo, of course. Right? Still, the American government declared the sale fraudulent, and Fremont got shafted. Yes. Sounds about right. During protracted failed legal fights that lasted into the 1890s, Fremont and his heirs filed compensation claims. And as far as I know, they never received fuck all for that. That sucks, cuz. I just did the math on that. It's mm-hmm. like almost $2 million worth of fucking funds that he just... Is it really? Yeah, five thousand dollars in eighteen forty-six is equivalent to about one hundred one point seven five million today. One hundred and one point seven five. I said one point seven five. Oh, you said one hundred and one point seven five. Did I say that? I think so. Oh, we'll find out when we play it back. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you did. Maybe. I don't know. All right, so uh, uh, let's see here. So dozens of landmarks, cities, towns, and counties with the name Fremont in their name reflect the influence of the man John C. Fremont or John. Charles Fremont, who was born in 1813 and passed away in 1890. They include cities in California, New Hampshire, Michigan, and Ohio, counties in Idaho, Colorado, Iowa, and Wyoming, a river, a national forest, and much more. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. 
Old Fremont here, John C. Fremont, rose from obscurity to become an icon partly due to uh, to talent, but also due to luck. Now, uh, the reason I'm adding this in here is because it's kind of cool. Okay. Okay. So this guy who bought Alcatraz, basically, for the government and then got hosed by the government, mm-hmm. right? Well, you'll see here. It's okay. pretty fucked up. Okay. So the arc of his life spanned a crucial period of America's growth. Thus, in its ups and downs, success, uh, successes and failures, deeds honorable and not so good, John Fremont's life in his own time came to symbolize the United States of the 19th century and in many ways still does today because this guy, he was going after the American dream. Hell yeah, man. I love Fremont Street in Vegas. See, there you go. That's the best place to go. I'm sure that's probably named after him they as well. They got the big old, like, video the lights, above yeah, lights above. lights above, Where you can zip line down through there. Uh, yeah, man. Dude, my, the first show I ever saw there was Queen. The first show? Yeah. Really? They do shows, like, every hour on the hour on the weekends and stuff. So you go down there and all the lights or whatever inside the little, like, walkway that you walk through. It's actually, like, a video screen. Oh, so it's not like the band wasn't actually no, playing no, there. No, but you could see like a live sweet. performance on the the cameras that are like, and then it projects. It's really cool. There's a lot of like, light shows and like really good like audio. Oh, and drinks are free, man. Oh, you just get toe up. Drinks are up. free. Yeah, man. <clears throat> like that. <clears throat> so Fremont was present. He was there at crucial turning points in U.S. history. In his lifetime, he witnessed the expansion and abolition of slavery, the extension of the U.S. border uh, to the Pacific Ocean the Civil War, and the creation and loss of immense fortunes in mining and railroads. So he was there for that whole thing. Damn. And, like, basically was a part of it. You know what I mean? So it's kind of cool. That's crazy. He also had a large hand in the Spanish-American War and had some reasonably negative ties to the skirmish. Ah. Uh, we could do an entire episode in this guy, so we'll keep it short for now here. But, uh, however, he was, this is the part that's crazy to me, he was actually up for the presidency. He was actually going to be potentially elected president in the 1856 election. Wow. Unfortunately, Uh-oh. oh boy, he lost some of the, his constituents, okay, because they believed that he was too anti-slavery. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that is horrendous. We got to do better, folks. Yeah, I mean, back then, I get it. It was the time, whatever, but that is ridiculous. Yeah, Like, bit. he's up for it. He's like, yes, I, I do believe you're going to be our guy. What, what's this? You, you don't like slavery. Well... But then I'm not going to elect you. <laughs> well, then now I don't like <laughs> you. Yes, then I don't like you now. You were a good man up until about five seconds ago. <laughs> so the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo ended the Mexican-American War and gave the United States control over California and the California Gold Rush the following year. Ooh. The U.S. Army started researching whether Alcatraz Island would be a suitable location for coastal batteries to guard the approaches uh, to San Francisco Bay, right? So they wanted to fortify it and be like, listen, let's put some guns up here and that'd be a good spot to keep them, you know, at, at bay. bay. Ah. <laughs> 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 so the United States Army uh, Corps of Engineers started reinforcing the island in 1853 under the leadership of a Zealous B Tower. Is he zealous? I don't know. It's a pretty amazing name, though. B Tower. Zealous B Tower here. Is- and we're going to build a tower. And you're going to be zealous. Right there. And you're going to be zealous. (laughs) Anyway. So construction ended in 1858 when the first Fort Alcatraz was finished. At the end of that year, the island's first garrison of roughly 200 troops actually landed on the island. Oh. Okay. So the island installed 85 cannons initially. And initially, they got to 105 cannons by 1866. Around its, uh, They put them around the perimeter. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the American Civil War started in 1861. Okay. Due to the limited strength of the garrison there, the troops could use only some of the guns at once. Oh, man. <laughs> they would suck. <laughs> Which way are they coming from? That way. 
but then shoot that gun. <laughs> what about that gun? You can't shoot them both. It sucks. <laughs> I'm just thinking one guy sitting there going, when can I fire? When can I fire? Not now. When can I fire? Oh, they just went past us, boss. <laughs> Shit. So, yeah, they, they can only do it, like, you know, so often. So uh, it also um, acted as the San Francisco arsenal to prevent Confederate supporters from obtaining firearms during the time to establish a triangle of protection, quote, unquote, mm. with Fort Point and Lime Point, Alcatraz was designed as a heavily fortified military position on the West Coast. Hot damn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. However, the planned construction on Lime Point was never completed. Well, of course. Alcatraz was also the site of the first working lighthouse on the U.S. West Coast, which I did not know about. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And now you guys know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you see that? That's how that works. Huh. Yeah. Hold on. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yep. Yep. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks. Fort Alcatraz was a jail for privateers and Confederate sympathizers on the West Coast during the war, but the island never fired its guns at an enemy. No, just the birds. <laughs> <laughs> just just flocks of what do they call again the the garnets boobies. No, boobies all the boobies all the boobies oh this this episode's got a lot of boobies man throw my cannon I'm gonna shoot my cannon at your boobies oh my god <laughs> talking about the fort man <laughs> holy shit oh man I'm I'm more upset that I didn't think of that yeah, yeah I'm sorry that's fine you got that one high fives high Thanks. fives you got Thanks. it good job. As early as 1859, Alcatraz was utilized to hold troops found guilty of crimes due to the seclusion brought about by the cold, ferocious uh, currents of San Francisco Bay. In addition, the Department of the Pacific's military prison was housed at the fort around 1861. So POWs from the American Civil War were imprisoned there as early as that year. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Following the suspension of the right to habeas corpus in the United States in 1863, the military also began detaining citizens charged with treason. On the island, the army trained hundreds of soldiers, and by eight, uh, April of 1861, more than 350 soldiers were stationed there. Okay, The peak of the, of the war actually saw 433 men at the beginning of 1865. Wow. Yeah, they had a lot, a lot of people there. That's crazy. And we all know what habeas corpus is, right? The right to habeas corpus? Yes, yes, of course. And what does that say? It is a really, really cool Latin word that tells you that you're uh, not allowed to be, you know, corped upon your habeas pretty good right what what <laughs> just means basically that you can't you have a right to know why you're being imprisoned right so that's what habeas corpus is yeah. so you can't be you have the right to corp upon your habeas correct yeah, yeah i guess <laughs> so between 1870 and 1876 modernization projects of alcatraz were started but never finished including an overly ambitious idea to level the entire island and build shell-proof underground rooms and tunnels. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. It would have been sweet. Yeah. The so-called parade ground on the southern tip of the island shows the extent of the flattening effort. So they actually started doing it. Wow. They had the idea, just wiping the whole thing down and just making it all like underground bunkers and stuff. Dope. That would be pretty cool. But they, they do say that there are actually some underneath there now. Should convert it over to a speakeasy. <laughs> It'd be a rough ride home. <laughs> Jeez. Let's go to Alcatraz and get hammered. Ha! Exactly. Yeah, sounds great. Have a drink. Yeah, see? On the rock. Get in. Have, you know, no? I'll have my whiskey on the rocks. <laughs> At the rock. You gotta roll your R when you do that. It's the rock. You roll your R's. It's the rock. You rock. Thanks, man. You're welcome. <laughs> So instead, the Army's uh, plans for Alcatraz shifted from coastal defense to imprisonment 
a mission ideally suited to the island due to its isolation. Obviously, you know, they were like, hey, that's probably going to cost too much money to do this. Why don't we just keep it as a prison? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes sense. Like it's, and again, from the conception of them holding um, military POWs, right. which is what they were, they were soldiers that they were, you know, imprisoning or whatever, it was always thought that this place was completely inescapable. Yeah, it makes sense. You know what I mean? So they were like, send them there, send them there. And everybody thought, like, like the worst of the worst, they would send them out there and stuff, you right. know, because they didn't want them getting rid of, rid of them. And we'll talk about all that as we get into the actual escape attempts or successful ones, maybe. So anyway, before that, the prison housed convicts in the guardhouse's basement. Hmm. Okay. In 1867, a masonry jailhouse was constructed, and in 1868, Alcatraz received its official designation as a long-term military prison. Later, in 1846, the government discontinued the facilities used for prisoners of war. Okay, uh, Confederates apprehended on the West Coast and uh, certain Hopi uh, Native Americans, mm-hmm. uh, or the father, should I say, who defied instructions to move their children away from their families to Indian boarding schools were imprisoned at Alcatraz in the 1870s, which is totally fucked up. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. Uh, there is a, um, a a couple of them, if I believe. There's one in Canada that was a uh, like a Native American boarding school yeah. where so many kids were killed. Yeah. It's it's super fucked. We'll talk about that one of these days. We'll do a, an episode on it, at least a bonus or something, but yeah. it's, it's fucked. So the Spanish-American War caused the prison population to increase from 26 to over 450 in 1898, kind of Damn. like we were talking about a second ago. General George W. McIver of the United States Army oversaw it from 1905 to 1907. Yeah, that's right. You like that? I do. After the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, civilian convicts were moved to Alcatraz for security. The Western U.S. military prison, later known as the Pacific Branch, uh, U.S. disciplinary barracks, um, oh, I'm sorry, that's what it's called. Pacific Branch U.S. Disciplinary... <laughs> Too much espresso! <laughs> Pacific Branch U.S. Disciplinary Barracks. Nice. That's all I get. <laughs> uh, that was in 1915. was formally named Alcatraz on March 21st of 1907 as the... The... Um, the, uh, the jail, basically. Right. The prison. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Major Reuben Turner's enormous main cell building, uh, still the island's most prominent structure, began construction in 1909. In 1912, they completed it. Mm -hmm. The Citadel, a three-story barracks, was destroyed down to the first floor below ground level to make room for the new cell block. Unfortunately, a protective dry moat had been created by the building's construction inside an uh, excavated pit. It's kind of weird, right? Weird, yeah. As a result, the new cell block was built with the first level acting as a basement giving birth to the urban legend that there were dungeons beneath the main cell block. Oh. In October of 1933, the U.S. disciplinary barracks was handed to the Bureau of Prisons and disbanded. Mm-hmm. They said, nope, no more. Mm. The facility housed conscientious objectors during World War I, including Philip Grosser, who chronicled his experiences in pamphlet in a pamphlet titled Uncle Sam's Devil's Island. So obviously he wasn't a fan. Apparently not. Yeah. The majority of the island's inmates were infamous killers and mostly bank thieves, which is really wild. Yeah, there were apparently bank robbing was a huge thing back then. Heck yeah, man! Like everybody was doing it. It was the wild wild west back then, dude. But it wasn't even the wild wild west. I mean, it was west and it was wild. Come on. <laughs> 
So like I said, they uh, the prison housed some of the most notorious criminals in American history for its 29-year operation. Think about that. It was only in operation for 29 years as a U.S. prison. That's crazy. Yeah. These criminals included gangsters like Al Capone, oh. hey, Robert Franklin Stroud, okay. George Machine Gun Kelly, the real one, not the wussy guy, and Bumpy Johnson. Ew. <laughs> How'd you get that name there, Bumpy? Your face looks good. Don't ask questions. <laughs> Um, as well as political terrorists like Rafael Cancel Miranda and a, uh, a member of the Puerto Rican uh, Nationalist Party who attacked the U.S. Capitol building in 1954. Huh. Pretty wild. A few others were American gangster Mickey Cohen, mm-hmm. Arthur R. Doc Barker, the son of Ma Barker, and gangster Alvin Creepy Carpus, who was the prisoner who spent the most time at Alcatraz. Pretty creepy. He was there for the longest. Yeah, I guess he was actually like a pretty, like... The name, let's just say the name came honestly. Ah. Yeah, he was kind of like a creepy fuck. Yeah. Got ya. In addition, the employees of the Bureau of Prisons and their families could have also, like, they could live there. They could stay there. Oh, shit. Yeah, so, you like, if you were an employee there, you could have your family move to the island, and there were, like, barracks for you to stay there. That would suck. Yeah. I wouldn't be a fan of that. No, man. I wouldn't want to take my kids to that. No. Inmates believed that it wasn't impossible to get away and swim to shore. Oh. Or was it? Dang, dang. <laughs> the prison asserted that no prisoner escaped throughout its 29 years of operation. That's right. None. Right? Maybe? Yeah, but then why are we why are we talking about it then? Oh, that's a good point. Hmm. A total of 36 inmates attempted 14 escapes, including two guys who tried it twice. Two people drowned, six were shot and killed while attempting to flee, 23 were found alive, and five more are classified as, <clears throat> quote, lost and presumed dead. Right. The Battle of Alcatraz, which resulted from a failed effort by six prisoners to escape, was the most violent episode on May 2nd of 1946. The elaborate escape plan, or escape that carried out on June 11th, 1962, by Frank Morris, John Anglin, and Clarence Anglin, is arguably the most well-known. We'll talk about it. Uh It's thought that the three men failed their attempt and drowned. Mm. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Maybe. John Paul Scott. All right. A prisoner reached the coast mm. okay, in uh, 1962, even though most escapees were caught or drowned. He was so exhausted that the cops discovered him in hypothermic shock and completely unconscious. Damn. Every year, participants in the Escape from Alcatraz triathlon, they try to swim, <laughs> try to swim, one, uh, 1.5 miles or 2.4 kilometers from the island to the bay shore. That's crazy. Uh, not me, buddy. Nope. No. No. Not in those waters. No. One, it's cold as hell. Yeah. Like the freaking, the riptides and everything else that you get swept by with that. Mm-mm. And all the boobies, man. All the boobies. All the boobies. I'm telling you. You ever been hit by a booby? <laughs> like when they're flying by and they yeah. can smack you. you no, know what I mean? I've never really been able to grab a booby. And it's worse when there's two of them because then you got a whole pair of boobies yeah. that are just coming at your face. Always. Just, you know what I mean? And, and slapping you. Just like you got to be really careful about boobies those boobies. Smacking you in the face. Yeah, you got to watch. Because yeah. they are. They're big boobies. They are big boobies. I mean, we just talked about that. Yeah, they are pretty big. Several factors caused Alcatraz's demise as a prison in 1963. First, compared to other prisons, operating costs at the jail were significantly higher. Almost $10 per prisoner per day. Damn. Okay, as opposed to $3 per prisoner per day in, like, uh, Atlanta at the time. Gotcha. 50 years of saltwater saturation had severely destroyed the buildings. And finally, George Moscone received public proposals to use Alcatraz Island for new purposes when they shut it down. Obviously, hey, let's turn it into a, you know, a destination for visitors and stuff. Right. It'll help out San Francisco. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
All right, so let's talk about the escapes. Escape. Do you want to talk about the escapes? Like, the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, I can. I mean, it's kind of what we're here for. Sure. Right? Yeah. They want to hear about the escapes. I mean, I kind of want to hear about the escapes. Yeah? Yeah. I want to hear more about boobies, though. (laughs) Damn it! Okay, so officials always refer to Alcatraz, uh, the federal penitentiary, as, quote, America's most secure jail, right? Of course. Since it first opened as a maximum security facility in 1934. However, inmates put that shit to the test throughout the prison's roughly 30-year existence. Well, 29 years, if Mm -hmm. you want to get meticulous about it. Mm -hmm. With various moderate to dramatic escape attempts. Oh. Yeah. As we know, more than 1,500 criminals, including some of the most notorious and violent Men in America were imprisoned at the renowned jail known as The Rock. That was, that was, that was. Shut better. <laughs> if I say it like that the entire time. I sound like Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Jack Sparrow. So, uh, so yeah, over those three decades, there was a lot of different bad guys that were in there, right? So let's talk about some of these men and their attempted escapes. So now, April 27th, 1936, Joseph Bowers. Ooh. Joseph Bowers was serving a 25-year sentence for mail robbery when one afternoon while working at the trash incinerator, he attempted to scale a fence on the island's perimeter. His fellow prisoners described him as a loner and a desperado and, by some, just fucking nuts. Eh. Nevertheless, guards shot Bowers when he reached the top of the barrier and disobeyed orders to cease climbing. Bowers then fell between 50 and 100 feet to a death. Damn. Yes. Okay, so that didn't work. No. Right? Okay. Convicted bank robbers uh, Ralph Rowe, Theodore Cole. This happened on uh, December 16th of 1937. Okay. Okay. On that date, a dense fog swept through San Francisco Bay, impeding marine traffic and reducing visibility to near zero on Alcatraz Island, on The Rock. <laughs> Cole and Rowe were working in the mat shop. A routine head count at 1 p.m. showed all prisoners accounted. At the next count, at 1.30 p.m., the two men were gone. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Two iron bars and three heavy glass panes of window in the shop had a, uh, a hole eight and three quarters inches or 22 centimeters high and 18 inches or 46 centimeters long. Once through the window, they slipped down to the gate of a high-wire fence concealed by the fog. With a wrench taken from the tire shop, they forced the gate lock and dropped 20 feet to a beach. And then their trail vanished at that point. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was just like, where'd they go? Hmm. Well, an exhaustive search of the island revealed nothing. Guards found only the abandoned wrench. An extensive multi-day search ensued. Portions of the island were flooded with tear gas to flush out the escapees with zero results. Wow. They're just like, just throw it in there. Because there's like, you know, this is literally an island, so there's like little caves and shit all over the place and stuff. Right. You know? Subsequent investigation revealed that Cole and Roe had prepared for the escape well in advance. They used a hacksaw blade to weaken the window bars and disguise the damage with a mixture of grease and shoe polish. Smart. Pretty smart. Yeah. The men presumably entered the water at the beach, relying on floats improvised from tires or fuel canisters. There was no evidence to suggest they had constructed or uh, launched an actual raft. Mm. So they basically just used, like, you know, because back then they had inner tubes and tires and stuff. Right. So they were just thinking that they'd just grab that and held on to it. Okay. Or fuel canisters because it'll float and shit. Right. Prison officials concluded that Cole and Roe drowned shortly after their escape. Yeah. Hmm. 
The swift ebb tides at the time, estimated at seven to nine knots, would have swept even an expert swimmer out of the bay and into the Pacific Ocean. The fog was so thick that it would have made it almost impossible for outside Confederates to pick them up by boat. These swimmers would not know, also, if they were even swimming toward the shore, and they were likely swept out to sea. As it was late December, the water would have been freezing, yeah. ranging from 46 to 58 degrees Fahrenheit. So not technically freezing, but super fucking cold. It's super cold. I right. mean, hypothermia can set in with, like, what, like 30 minutes on that? Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Warden Johnson said, quote, The water is too cold. The tide running too high and land is too far. That's all he said. Despite their likely fate, police departments in the surrounding counties and the FBI followed up on every tip and rumor. There were various reports of sightings in the following days, months, and years, but their validity is completely unknown. Hmm. Now, two hitchhikers claimed to have seen Roe and Cole and identified them to the police by their photos. A 1941 San Francisco Chronicle report declared that the pair were living in South America, and a cab driver in Cole's hometown of Seminole, Oklahoma, told police he had been shot by men he recognized as the two escapees. Interesting. Right. So this is actually coming from the Seminole Producer, which is a newspaper on uh, from June 7th of 1939. Uh, quote, Ted Cole, former Seminole youth who escaped from Alcatraz prison with Ralph Rowe in 1937 today, was sought here by federal agents more than 18 months after prison officials said they believed he had drowned in San Francisco Bay. Man, yeah, see? Yeah. It goes on to say, this is great. The G-Men here maintained their customary silence, but one Seminole man who had known both Cole and Roe at Leavenworth Penitentiary said that he and other local residents had been questioned about the fugitives. Guy doesn't believe in punctuation. Jesus. <laughs> and he goes on. I just love the G-Men. Yeah, that's The G-Men, see? G-Men. Yeah. Goes on to say, quote, Sandy Hood, in charge of Federal Bureau of Investigation Operations in the sector, and Officer Smith of the G-Men were in, the, uh, in this area, presumably working on the case with local officers. So there you go. That's what he said, right? Oh, okay, sorry. It goes on. <laughs> quote, Oklahoma officers seemed intentionally to try to not identify the escapees as they continued their hijacking spree in the Seminole, Tecumseh, and Shawnee, Oklahoma area. So basically, this reporter is saying that they weren't even trying to, like, identify the guys. Yeah, it makes sense. You know what I mean? They were more so, like, in, in, at least what he's saying is they were intentionally trying not to identify him. Because if it was, and if it were them, then guess what? Yeah. Alcatraz is no longer escape-proof. Right. And you know what I mean? You just lost your job having the being at the uh, most secure facility. Right. So, I mean, so this one comes from the uh, Seminole producer on uh, June 24th of 1939. <clears throat> Quote. <laughs> Seminole Police Chief Jake Sims and the Highway Patrol that have linked Ralph Rowe Alcatraz fugitive to a Tecumseh hijacking are taking their time. A check of the hijacking victims showed today. Again, no punctuation. Uh, goes on to say, quote. At Oklahoma City, Mrs. Lois Daniels reported this noon that neither she nor her daughter, Miss E.J. Well, had been asked to identify photographs of Rowe. Mrs. Daniels saved $1,150 worth of rings by tossing them into the weeds while the hijacker took a $1,000 ring from Mrs. Well. Ed Talley of Oklahoma, who lost two $20 bills to the hijackers, $40 in total, also said that he had not been asked to identify the pictures of Rowe. <laughs> Interesting. So, these people are claiming that they got hijacked or whatever, but then the officers, the G-men, see, mm. aren't even showing them pictures. Like, is this what they look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Seems weird. That is right? odd. So now that one right there, we don't know. There was no no what no body. Right. Bodies, plural. And then you've got people who are saying that there were sightings of them being hijacked, if you will, by them. The hijacker, see? 
And I love that Mrs. Daniels saved $1,150 worth of rings by tossing them into the weeds. Okay, why did she have that many rings on her yeah, in 1946 of, or whatever? A lot of money. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. That's She must be well off, Miss Daniels. Mm-hmm. Calm down there. So, yeah, that one, I don't know. It's interesting. That does seem you know? interesting. So now, in the spring of 1938, bank robber Rufus Franklin, criminal Thomas R. Limerick, and criminal James C. Lucas planned a uh, an escape from Alcatraz, of course. Of course. Their escape uh, plan began by uh, began began began, began by in, uh, incapacitating an unarmed guard, supervising a work detail on the top floor. Gotcha. Okay. Once the supervisor was knocked the fuck out, the convicts would escape through a window to the rooftop where they would incapacitate an armed guard, okay, and leave the island via a seized police boat, hmm. which is totally inconspicuous, by the way. Correct, yes. They enacted their escape plan on May 23rd of 1938 in the prison's match shop where they assaulted custodial officer Royal Klein with hammer blows to the head. Oh, yikes. Yeah, that sucks. Then they proceeded to the roof where an armed guard shot both Franklin and Limerick, although Lucas wasn't shot. Other guards arrived at the scene. Franklin, Limerick, and Lucas were cornered and surrendered to the guards. After Klein died of his injuries, that's the officer, okay, the one that got smacked in the head with the hammer, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, the next day here, as did Limerick, one of the guys who was trying to escape, okay, Franklin and Lucas, the other surviving convict here, were tried for murder and sentenced to life imprisonment after the jury spared them from execution, which at that time shocks me, to be honest with you. Yeah, really. Franklin spent many years of solitary confinement in Alcatraz's D-block. He was eventually transferred to the Atlanta Federal Prison, where he was paroled in 1974, and then he died a year later. Damn. Kind of crazy, though. He got got off the rock. He did get off the rock. He tried to get off the rock and couldn't. <laughs> he said, it's got to be Scottish, right? Yeah. Is that is that good? It's Scottish. It is. <laughs> no, if I just get deeper, is it a little better? Uh, it's good in there, yeah. You should better now. Oh, that's much better now. Oh, there it is. That sounds a lot better, doesn't it? It does. Do you like that, Manny Penny? Uh, yeah. Yes, is that good? The rest of you out there, do you like that? Does it sound like Sean Connery to you? Does it sound like Sean? Does it sound like <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing right now. <laughs> All right. So now let's talk about uh, Arthur Doc Barker. You know, that's the son of Ma Barker, that crazy bitch. And if you don't know about the Barkers, um, maybe we'll do a uh, bonus on them. Yeah. They were just, a, a, you know, a family of uh, criminals that did some criminal shit. I actually uh, worked uh, at, when I was working at the prison. One of the guys that I uh, was going to like the, the, the training program through whatever the six month program. Um, his name was Bill Barker and he was actually related to these guys. Really? Yeah. You sure he wasn't related to, like, Bob Barker? No, I, I asked. He was, uh... Remember to get you a pet spayed and neutered. <laughs> Price is right. Hopefully yeah, 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 yeah. people know that. I'm not that... No, I am that young. Never mind. It's fine. Don't worry about Plinko? it. Plinko? Plinko was great. The fuck is Plinko? Plinko is where you get on the top and you got the little oh, disc the little and it goes down and goes... Ding, 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 ding. Gotcha. And then the little guy that going up the mountain... Yo, lady, 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 lady. I don't know that at all. I know the game Plinko's That's, about it. Oh, my God. It's so good. And then the showcase showdown? I think I know that. All right. I'm old. Whatever. Yeah. So uh, along, so Doc Barker here, along with William Martin, Rufus McCain, Henry Young, and Dale Stamphill, okay, this is these guys here. These five, led by Doc Barker, of course, of the notorious The Bloody Barker Gang, sawed through the iron bars of their cell windows and leaped some 30 feet to the San Francisco Bay Shores. Armed correctional guards arrived to meet them right away. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so awesome. Barker and Stamphill were executed for not submitting, whereas Martin, Young, and McCain, they did. And Barker died from his wounds. There you go. 
So in other words, like by executed, I mean they they were shot. Yeah, they were like, hey, get on off there, see? We knew you were coming. And he's like, nah, see. I'm going to go, see? What are you going to do there, copper? Hmm, you and the G-men going to get me? Hmm, tally up there, Sally. Let's roll. And then he got shot. You do that too well. I don't even know if tally up there, Sally, is even a thing from back then, but it is now. It's <laughs> a new shirt idea. Too. Yeah, that's a new shirt idea. Tally up there, Sally. Hmm. <laughs> so now, uh, so these guys here, these next ones here, Joe uh, Kretzer, Sam Shockley, Arnold Kyle, and Lloyd Barkdahl. All right, uh, they uh, these guys attempted. Um, let's see, uh, it was more like a hijacking, okay, than an actual escape because the prisoners held several of Alcatraz's correctional personnel hostage, including Paul Madigan, who would later take over as the prison's third warden. Mm. Kind of wild that he actually stayed on even after this whole thing went down. Right. However, however, after the uh, I almost said however, <laughs> do you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I almost went into that. <laughs> however, after the inmates were unable to get through the uh, tool-resistant bars at Alcatraz, Madigan and the cops were able to take the upper hand by persuading the thieves they would never be able to escape. So they kind of calmed him down. Right. You know what I mean? So in September, uh, in September, 27-year-old John R. Bayless, serving 25 years for robbing a bank, attempted a one-person escape while on a garbage detail. Okay, and this is, uh, let's see, this is uh, September of 1941, I believe. Yeah. A guard discovered him as he was about to begin his swim. A year or so later, Bayless was in a San Francisco courtroom on his petition for a writ of habeas corpus based, uh, because, he, based because he had not been represented by legal counsel when he was convicted. Hmm. Okay. Just before the judge entered the room, <laughs> Bayless leaped a railing and dashed for the back door. A deputy marshal grabbed him and foiled his second attempt. This guy was just trying to get the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> then there was James Borman, Harold Brest, Floyd Hamilton, and Fred Hunter. And this is uh, from April 14th of 1943. Do you think Harold Brest likes looking at boobies? <laughs> <laughs> Well, from, uh, it depends on what his window was at, at Alcatraz. I'm sure he probably saw a lot of boobies. I'm sure he did. The, the, especially the big ones, That's flying right. in pairs. Yeah. <laughs> he was just waiting to get smacked in the face with something. I mean, he probably saw white boobies. Oh, yeah. He, you may have seen a black boobie yeah. from time to time. Yeah. You know, I mean. Even the gray ones. <laughs> the gray boobies? Yeah. What the hell is that? Dead Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so the mat shop hosted the ho this uh, hostage affair here again. So the four cons grabbed a guard and Captain Weinhold as they made their round. So another, you know, kidnapping kind of yeah. hostage bullshit here. They kicked out pre-cut bars in the mat shop, pushed a plank over the gap between the industrial building and the perimeter fence, and climbed over, uh, climbed over it to the water's edge. Hmm. Captain Weinhold worked his gag loose as they entered the water and whistled for help. I, 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 that's amazing to me. Yeah. Because I can't whistle that loud. You know how those people do that with their tongue? Yeah. The whole thing or whatever? Yeah, my mom can do that, but she does it with like the two finger thing or whatever. So it's like the, both your hands in there and she just like presses down on your tongue and do that shit literally. Wait, she does it to you? Like not, with her fingers? Not that's her. odd. <laughs> she does it. Come here, attention. kid. <laughs> now blow. This <laughs> <laughs> shit's so loud though when she does it. It's crazy. Yeah, I know a lot of people that can do that. I can't it's do like it. It's like ear piercing. Yeah. So anyway, so he whistled for help, right? So the tower guards spotted the escapees and opened fire immediately. Old Brest there was wounded, and Borman was killed. A few hours later, searchers found Hunter in a tidal cave. Warden Johnston announced that Hamilton had also been slain, although they never found a body. Hmm. Hamilton turned up several days later, having hidden in the same tidal cave where guards had found Hunter. Can you imagine being... <laughs> can you imagine? So initially, they did... They, okay, just to reiterate with that... Uh, Hunter and Hamilton were in the same cave. Right. They went in and found Hunter. 
which is awesome that he didn't dime Hamilton out. Right. You know, like, no, see, he's in here with me. Nah. <laughs> the other guy, shut the fuck up, see? <laughs> but so they just basically because they didn't want anyone to even remotely suspect that he could have escaped. Right. They said he was dead. Right. Hamilton. Right. And then all of a sudden, Hamilton comes walking back up like, oh, man, I'm tired. <laughs> like, oh, shit, no way. He's supposed to be dead. <laughs> you know, like super fucked. Uh, let's see here. So the next one here is uh, Huron Ted Walters. Huron. Huron. From August 7th of 1943. When Huron Ted Walters made his break for freedom, he was working in the prison's laundry facility. But like the many before him, he was stopped by police at the shoreline before he even reached the ocean. So he just tried to bail out and they just said, no. <laughs> now get back to your room. Just, just go. Yeah. Aw, oh, gee whiz. Aw, <laughs> oh, gee willikers, bud. I was going to say gee willikers. I swear <laughs> to God, that's funny. So now there's John K. Giles. On July 31st of 1945, at 10.40 a.m., the Army Ferry USAT General Frank M. Cox pulled into the Alcatraz Wharf. Hmm. It's pretty awesome, actually. Giles wearing an Army Technical Sergeant's uniform that he had been able to steal while working in the laundry that was contracted to clean Army uniforms, jumped aboard the boat through a freight hatchway below deck. Okay. Okay. So far, extremely smart. Yeah, really. And wealth, like, planned out here. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty awesome. As the ship pulled away, a count of the soldiers on board indicated, well, one extra person. And at the same time, a count of the Alcatraz dock workers showed, well, one missing person. Hmm. Authorities notified Assistant Warden E.J. Miller, and he followed the Army boat in a tiny speedboat until it reached Fort McDowell on Angel Island. Alcatraz officials called ahead to Fort McDowell, instructing them to keep everyone on the boat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. The boat captain took this to mean nobody was to disembark without a pass. Ah. Giles, the, 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 the escaping convict here, showed his pass and was allowed to exit. Interesting. Amazing. Okay. Now, according to Alcatraz Warden Johnston, it should have been called a successful escape. But the Bureau of Prisons and the Attorney General classified it as an attempted escape. Sounds to me like he got away with it, at least up to that point, right? Yeah, so far. So while on board, Giles was unaware that he was being followed. Instead, he talked to fellow passengers and told them that he was, quote, a lineman working on the cable. After Giles left the boat, he was questioned by Lieutenant Gordon L. Kilgore, uh, the Fort McDowell officer of the day. Kilgore had noticed that Giles' uniform just didn't seem right. After inspecting the pass and realizing it was a bad forgery, Giles was detained and turned over to Assistant Warden Miller. By 11 a.m., he was headed back to Alcatraz. And he, this amazingly smart guy, actually died in 1979 in California. Man. But that that sounds like a, su- a successful escape. That's pretty good. Like, he didn't stay out, but that's not what that's about. It's about actually su- su- <laughs> successfully escaping. Right. Which he did. He did. I, I believe that's... Right now, what are we at? Two? Three. Three, right? Yeah, three. Yeah, so we're at three yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. Three that I believe are successful. Successful. Yes. So now some of these next names here may sound a little familiar. Uh, Bernard Coy, Marvin Hubbard, Joseph Kretzer, Sam Shockley, Myron Thompson, and Clarence Carnes. These guys, uh, this is from uh, May uh, 2nd through 4th from 1946. So Bernard Coy planned this uh, this entire escape attempt. Okay. Okay. Three other convicts were involved in the main plan. Marvin Hubbard, uh, Joseph Kretzer, and Clarence Carnes. Sam Shockley and Myron uh, Thompson joined the escapees after the attempt had actually started. Now, Coy, Bernard Coy here, was a Depression-era criminal who, in 1937, was was sentenced to 25 years for, shocker, bank robbery. He was moved to Alcatraz in uh, 1938 from Atlanta. 
He was soon given the job of cell house orderly, right? Yeah. Because he's 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 a good dude. Everyone's like, okay, he's doing the right thing. So he gained everybody's trust. Mm-hmm. And this gave him a relative um, you know, amount of freedom, you know, to move around the main cell block. Yeah. Right? Joe Kretzer was a West Coast gangster and member of the Kretzer Kyle gang. In 1940, he was sentenced to 25 years for murder. Yikes. After two escape attempts in the first months of his incarceration, we talked about him earlier. Mm -hmm. This guy's done it quite a few times. Yep, yep, yep. In which one of those resulted in another murder charge. That's, remember, the guy he hit with the hammer. Right. They killed that uh, that officer. He uh, he was actually transferred to Alcatraz. Oh, no, this is a different one. From He's escaping from other places. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, sorry. Carnes was the youngest prisoner to reside at Alcatraz, having been convicted of murder in 1943 at only the age of 16. Damn. Yep. He made several escape attempts and uh, by 1946, okay, and when he was transferred to Alcatraz, he had uh, actually accumulated a life sentence and 99 years for kidnapping oh. at 16. How the hell did he get 99 years for kidnapping? How many people did he kidnap and or how long did he kidnap them for? I don't know, but he got 99 years. And a bitch wasn't one of them. And a bitch wasn't one. <laughs> Through his role as cell house orderly here, Bernard Coy noticed uh, flaws in the prison security. The gun gallery at the west end of the cell house was protected by bars with no mesh or barriers. In addition, a Federal Bureau of Prisons officer in the gallery had set routines that allowed the convicts to predict when the main cell block and the gallery would be unobserved. Interesting. All right, so nobody's checking it out right now. Right, right. On May 2nd of 1946, most convicts and corrections officers were in outside workshops, okay? Coy was in the central cell house sweeping the floor uh, around C Block when kitchen orderly Marvin Hubbard called on Officer William Miller to let him in, and as he had just finished cleaning the kitchen. Gotcha. Okay, so you got two guys who, you know, the, the are doing what they're supposed to do, right. supposedly, right? Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> as Miller was frisking Hubbard for, you know, any stolen articles, because that's you know what they have to do pat them down make sure they're not stealing anything from the kitchen hey see making sure you don't have any knives on you exactly what's that fork doing in your pocket that's not a fork i'm just happy to see you man see (laughs) (laughs) so anyway while he's frisking this guy right coy attacked him from behind and then they overpowered him they released joseph kretzer and uh clarence carnes from their cells okay gotcha so the whole plan here listen see i'm just gonna be sweeping the floor and you're you're gonna come out and the guy's gonna come over and grab you by your junkles Okay, give it the old, the old Bob and Harry where it's scary. You know what I'm saying there, right? So as he's doing that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sock him, I'm gonna sock him hard, see? And then we're gonna go and let the other fellows out of the, out of the dens. <laughs> I'm trying to think of all these, <laughs> all these different words that they didn't even work. Whatever. So the cell house had an elevated gun gallery that an, uh, an armed officer regularly uh, patrolled. The officer Bert Birch had a routine, and the convicts had attacked Miller while Birch was away. Okay. As a cell house orderly, Bernard Coy had spotted, like we said earlier, a flaw in the bars protecting the gun gallery because he, he's he been doing this, planning this for years. Right. So it wasn't just a two-day thing. Like, he's been seeing this shit for a while. Coy noticed he could widen the space between the, the bars here by using a bar-spreading device consisting of a nut, nut and bolt with a uh, like a metal sleeve mm-hmm. that moved when a small wrench turned the nut. So basically, you put it in here and you expand it with this wrench. Right. Kind of smart. Pretty smart, pretty smart. Coy spread the bars with his nuts <laughs> and squeezed through the widened gap. Oh, wow, looking at those boobies. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So he actually starved himself. Okay, this is how dedicated he was. He starved himself enough to fit through the space between the bars, which was still pretty small. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, and so anyway, he got in and squeezed himself through the, uh, the, you know, the temporarily vacant gallery where he overpowered and found Birch on his return. Okay, so we got all that? Yep. Okay. Coy kept the Springfield rifle in the gallery and lowered an M1911 uh, pistol. Love those guns. Oh, yeah. Along with keys, several clubs, and gas grenades to his fellow accomplices. Okay. Okay, so he's arming them. Continuing, uh, con- yeah, continuing along the, uh, the gun gallery, Coy entered D-Block, which was separated from the main cell house by a concrete wall and used for prisoners in isolation. Now there, he used the rifle to force Officer uh, Cecil Corwin to open the cell, uh, the main cell house door and let in all of the others. Gotcha. Okay. They released about a dozen convicts, including Sam Shockley and Myron Thompson. Shockley and Thompson joined Coy, Carnes, Hubbard, and Kretzer in the primary cell house, and the other prisoners returned to their cells. Hmm. Okay. So everyone else was just kind of like, mm-mm. Yeah. Fuck this. I'm going back because you can't get off the island. Right. Supposedly. Supposedly. Right. So anyway, these other three guys, so Shockley and uh, Thompson, they they were like, fucking them. Let's go with them. Yeah, let's you do it. I mean? If we got a chance, we got a chance. So the gang then put guards Miller and Corwin in uh, a cell in C Block. The escapees needed to secure the key to the yard door of the prison from which they planned to make their way to the island's dock to seize the prison's launch, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The, uh, the boat docked daily between uh, 1410, which is what? That's 210 and 230, right? The plan was uh, to use the hostage officers as cover as the prisoners made their way to the dock, then San Francisco, and then on to freedom. Nice. Right? Guard Miller had held on to the yard door key, okay, even though he was not supposed to. Right. Okay? Uh, to let out the kitchen staff without disturbing the gallery officer at lunch. Okay. Although the escapees eventually found the key by searching the captive officers, by searching these you know officers they actually had in these different cells. Um, the the prisoners had uh you know where they basically they went in and actually found it on him finally. Right. The yard door actually wouldn't open. Interesting. Okay. Its lock had jammed because the other prisoners tried using other keys and like fucking with it, mm. and they fucked the lock up. Of course they did. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's hilarious. That sucks. The escape attempt was uh, thus inadvertently foiled from the beginning Mm -hmm. as the prisoners were trapped in the cell house. They could not get out. Okay. Meanwhile, additional officers who entered the cell house as part of their routine were seized along with others sent to investigate when the former officer actually didn't report in like he was supposed to. The prisoners were soon holding nine officers in two separate cells, but with nowhere to fucking go. They began to, obviously, freak the fuck out. Right. Right. Having failed in their initial plan, the prisoners decided to shoot it out. At 2.35, old Bernard Coy took the rifle and fired at the officers in some neighboring watchtowers, wounding one of them. Associate Warden Ed Miller went to the cell house to investigate it, armed with a gas billy club. He came across Coy, who shot at him. Miller retreated. Okay. By now, guards had raised the alarm. Now, Logan, Hmm. what is a gas billy club? It's actually really cool. So a gas billy club is like a gun with a tear gas all in just this big metal baton. And when you go and smack the fuck out of somebody, you can actually ignite uh, the, the, it's like a a small caliber charge inside the actual baton itself to release the tear gas that comes out. So you're also incapacitating them by beating the fuck out of them while suffocating them. (laughs) Sounds pleasant. It sounds pleasant. (laughs) Sounds pleasant. So, of course, their plan failed, right? Mm-hmm. Shockley and Thompson urged Kretzer, who had one of the guns, to kill the hostages in uh, to, in case they testified against them. Right. So, literally, he, they wanted them to, to kill the, the people they had, you know, um, 
held captive right, right now. The other officers and shit in there, which is fucked up. Instead, Kretzer opened fire on the officers, okay, wounding five, three seriously, including Bill Miller, who later died of his wounds. Mm. Karn, Shockley, and Thompson returned to their cells, okay? But Coy, Hubbard, and Kretzer decided they would not surrender. Meanwhile, one of the hostages wrote down the names of the convicts involved, circling the names of the ringleaders just in case he was to die. They, he could say the, this is who it was. Right. Uh, at about 1800, which would be, what is it, 6 o'clock? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm getting, I'm getting good at that. Nice. A squad of armed officers entering the gun cage was shot at by the convicts. One officer, Harold, uh, Harold Stites, was killed by friendly fire. Oh, no. Yikes. And four other officers were actually wounded. Prison officials uh, cut the electricity and delayed further attempts to regain control of the cell house until it got dark. Right. Okay. So Warden James A. Johnston asked for federal troops from nearby naval station Treasure Island to help deal with this ongoing situation. Two platoons of Marines under under the direction of Generals uh, Vinegar Joe Stillwell. Holy shit. Was uh was he uh it's <clears throat> a pretty great name. Was he pissing vinegar? I don't know. Was he always pissed off? Was he Vinegar. Always, was vinegar Joe sour? Stillwell. Ooh. That guy's tough. I'll slap you in the chop, see? <laughs> Sorry. And Frank Merrill, okay, the other uh general here. Uh, dispatched, uh, they were dispatched to the island to guard the general population of convicts and take the cell house from the outside. Nice. Okay. After night fell, two squads of officers entered the prison to locate and rescue the captive officers. Alcatraz's long-standing rule was that no guns were allowed in the cell house. Okay. Right. And the prison officials did not want more officers injured or killed. In addition, the convicts' position on uh, the top of a uh, cell block provided a nearly impregnable firing position is they were out of range of the officers, you know, and for them to use um, for the gun cages and stuff. Right. Okay. At, uh, t- so what is that, 8 o'clock? Yep. Is it? Yeah. Damn. Nice. Good. At 8 o'clock p.m. here now, unarmed officers entered the cell house covered by armed officers in the two gun galleries overhead. Okay, so you got your towers and the galleries above. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there, these guys are going in. They found the hostages. However, one officer was wounded by a gunshot fired from the roof of one of the cell blocks. They locked the open door to D block. Okay. When the last officer reached safety, the officers opened a massive barrage of machine guns, mortars, and grenades on the prisoners within D-Block, where the prison authorities erroneously thought one of the armed convicts was holed up. They eventually figured out that the rebellious prisoners were confined to the primary cell house and ceased their attack until officials worked out other tactics. So they just unloaded on where they thought the bad the bad guys, I mean, they're all convicts, but yeah. on who they thought were the perpetrators. That's crazy. So it was basically innocent prisoners. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So the Marines, led by World War II veteran warrant officer Charles Lafayette Buckner the Fourth, the fourth. <laughs> that's warrant officer Charles Lafayette Buckner the Fourth. That's fourth, right? No, no, that's uh, ninth. ninth. Yeah. How are you the ninth? Like, yeah. when do you stop doing that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hi, this is my son, Warrant Officer Charles Lafayette Buckner the Tenth. That's my grandbaby, <laughs> Warrant Officer Charles Lafayette Buckner the Eleventh. And that there, he's she's pregnant with my great grandbaby, and that grandbaby is going to be Warrant Officer Charles Lafayette Buckner the Twelfth. <laughs> so anyway, this guy here with way too much going on drove the armed convicts into a corner with tactics that uh, that they had perfected against entrenched japanese resistance during the pacific war interesting yeah so they drilled holes in the prison roof and dropped grenades into areas where they believed the convicts were positioned to force them into a utility corridor where they could then be cornered right so basically let's gas them out yeah right 
on May 3rd at about midnight, the convicts phoned Johnston to try, that's the warden, or assistant warden, to try to discuss a deal. Instead, Johnson told them to go fuck themselves. Good. Seriously, he was like, nope. He was like, I'm only going to take you guys as a surrender. That's it. Surrender right now. There are no fucking deals. We don't uh, negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's that you want? You, you would like to make a deal? Well, son, from where I'm standing, you're fucked. <laughs> you ain't got shit to offer me. So how about this? You come on out, and I'm going to sock you right in the motherfucking mouth. <laughs> that would definitely be Sam Jackson. You know what I mean? I mean that's pretty awesome. So Kretzer, um, one of the guys here, Kretzer replied that he'd never be taken alive. So later that day, a shot was fired at an officer as he checked out C-Block's utility, utility corridor. You'll never take me alive, coppers. Yeah. Yeah, copper, you'll never take me alive, C. Mm, I'll be sleeping with the fishes. Mm, mm. I don't know mm, why that's there mm, all the time. That's weird. That night, the Marines fired a constant barrage at the cell block until around uh, 2,100 hours or around, what is it, 11 o'clock? No. No. T- 10 o'clock. Yeah. Nine. Nine. Six. <laughs> Whatever the fuck 2,100 is, all right? <laughs> the following morning, squads of armed officers periodically rushed into the cell house, repeatedly repeatedly firing into the narrow corridor. Okay, so they're still just, just shooting. Just all night long. <laughs> you hear something... So you're shooting at boobies. <laughs> so at 9.40 a.m. on May 4th, they finally entered the hall and found the bodies of Kretzer, Coy, and Hubbard. Damn. Okay. Before the escape attempt, Hubbard had petitioned for a writ of habeas corpus because guards had beaten his confession out of him. He had produced hospital records to back up his claims. A federal hearing into the matter had been scheduled for the Monday after he died. That sucks. Instead, the case was dismissed on a motion filed by Prosecutor Joseph Koresh, who was quoted as saying that he uh, that had that it had gone through. Okay, that he actually like if it would have gone through, like if he would have made his uh, his court date, yeah. Hubbard would have had quote a fair chance of being fucking released. That's crazy, and that, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Uh, so Myron Thompson and Sam Shockley, you know those guys, they, the guys that said "fuck this," I'm going back to my room mm-hmm. after going and like being freed or whatever were executed simultaneously in the gas chamber at San Quentin on December 3rd, 1948 for their roles in the Battle of Alcatraz. That's what this whole thing was dubbed. Yes. Carnes was given an additional life sentence but was eventually released in 1973, which is fucked up that that Thompson and Shock, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. However, he breached his parole conditions, was sent back to prison, and died there from complications due to AIDS in 1988. Hmm. Yikes. Increased security measures ensured that there were no more escape attempts until 1956. So during the rescue attempt, prison guard Harold P. Stites, remember we mentioned him earlier, was shot and killed by friendly fire, while prison guard William A. Miller died of his injuries the following day in the cell. In addition to to those two deaths, 14 other corrections officers were wounded in the battle. Eight were taken hostage and locked in the cell. That's crazy. Yeah. All in Alcatraz. Woo! You ever heard about that story? You Not ever, the Battle of Alcatraz, no. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That is crazy. So crazy. So Floyd, uh, there was a movie made by that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think there was a movie about it, and I don't remember if there was. I have it in here someplace. Shawshank in fact, we'll probably talk about it when we do the movies today. Oh. Yeah. See? All right, so now let's talk about Floyd Wilson, 1956. Remember, there were no more until 1956. Right, right, right. Floyd Wilson, a stevedore. That's right. A stevedore. Yeah. A, or dock worker at the Alcatraz Pier, uh, Alcatraz Pier vanished from his position one morning. 
His abrupt disappearance sparked a nearly 12-hour search, search? <laughs> search, which ended when the escapee was discovered hiding inside the hollow of a rock <laughs> at Alcatraz's coast. So he was hiding in a rock. On. On the rock. <laughs> <laughs> then there was Clyde Johnson and Aaron Burgett on uh, September 29th, 1958. Uh, robbers, of course, robbers, see? Burgett and Johnson assault and handcuffed and gagged one cop at knife point while posing as garbage employees before attempting to swim away from the island. Mm-hmm. But the tides were more substantial than they thought. Burgett's body was discovered floating in the harbor two days after uh, Johnson was apprehended by police while in the water. Man. So the one guy, yeah, he didn't make it. So now let's talk about Frank Morris and uh, John and Clarence Anglin. Oh. Yeah. This is on June 11th, 1962. And uh, this one might be a little more popular as far as like what people know about the escapes. Yeah. So after six months of meticulous preparation, three inmates managed to break out through it, um, though it's it's pretty uncertain if they actually reached the mainland, right? Mm -hmm. Because no bodies were ever found. Correct. Nevertheless, some think the escape has factored into the the decision to close Alcatraz prison less than a year after the escape took place. Gotcha. A guard making a routine cell block, um, and or his head count, you know, during his routine walk of the place, on June 12, 1962, found three inmates still sleeping in their cells. Hmm. Okay. Further investigation revealed that the quote-unquote inmates were dummy heads made from painted paper mache with real hair glued on. Okay. And that the actual occupants of the cells, the convicted armed robber Frank Morris and the convicted bank robbing brothers Clarence and John Anglin, were fucking gone. The guard raised the alarm, and the warden in charge promptly notified state and federal authorities and the U.S. military. An intensive search began. In the cells of the missing men, guards discovered the grill openings in the concrete back walls, which were 8 inches thick, or 20 centimeters, had been labor- laboriously enlarged with tools fashioned from spoons stolen from the mess hall. Hmm. Yeah. Fake grills, also made from paper mache, which is amazing. Uh, they actually used uh, paper taken from magazines in the prison library to that do that. Makes sense. They had been used to hide excavation areas while work was still in progress. So they were putting up, like, fake fake grills on the thing. I thought they were talking, like, paper mache grills, like the, the, the ones you put in your mouth. Like Paul Wall? Yeah. Paul Wall! Yeah. No, I don't know. No, maybe not. I don't no? think so. I don't yeah. know. Paper mache grill would be gross. It would be kind of gross. It would be, like, all soggy yeah, and, like, mouth. dripping. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Authorities traced the path of uh, Morris and the Anglin brothers through a utility corridor and up the back wall of the cell block using plumbing pipes, um, plumbing piping as steps to the cell block roof. From there, the three lifted themselves through a large ventilation shaft and reached the top of the building. They then used a large exterior pipe to slip down 50 feet or 15 meters to the ground. Then the men cut through the barbed wire at the top of the perimeter fencing and scrambled down a steep embankment to the water's edge. Don't go down to the waters and you sit to me. No? Mm-mm. Sorry. <laughs> he just said, mm-mm. <laughs> Their movements after that are completely unclear. Authorities, they say that uh, they knew no one uh, to have successfully quite right escaped from Alcatraz. Right. right. For this reason, prisoners with a history of successful or attempted escapes um, elsewhere are, were often sent to Alcatraz, right? Uh, gotcha. All three escapees fit into that category, and Morris, the ringleader, was flagged as an, quote, escape artist. Nice. On prison records. He was also brilliant. The dude was, like, super, super intelligent. And his plan made allowance for the difficulty of swimming to shore in the cold water and strong current of the bay. It was his idea to build an inflatable raft by gluing together rubber raincoats stolen from the prison shop where they were being manufactured. 
Okay. Alan West supplied many details about the plot. He was the inmate who was an active participant in the whole escape plan. Gotcha. But check this out. But had failed to get out of his cell in time to help and join the other. <laughs> Can you imagine being involved the whole time? And then you oversleep. <laughs> you just wake up like, uh, oh, shit. <laughs> shit, what time is it? Yeah. Son of a... It's so funny to me. I'm sorry. I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> wait, wait. They said seven. They said 1900 hours? <laughs> I thought they said seven. Shit. <laughs> so he actually, this West guy that fucked up and didn't whatever, he actually helped build the raft and uh, rubber uh, life jackets using makeshift workshop on the cell block roof. They were actually going to the roof and making this stuff. Oh, wow. Like just right under the noses of the guards and stuff. It's pretty funny. That's crazy. Uh, and which he had actually been assigned to, uh, to go up there and do and to paint by the guards who actually didn't even pay attention. Hmm. They were like, yeah, go up there and do some painting for us there. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to build this raft. <laughs> that how he did it? I don't know. So anyway, that's what he planned on, and that's what he was doing up there. So the plotters used the same roof to store other equipment, such as the makeshift drill they used to remove the cover from the ventilation shaft. Right. Okay, so it seems pretty meticulously planned out. Very. Okay. Morris and the Anglins, the brothers here, almost certainly escaped from Alcatraz Island, but whether they successfully fled to the mainland is completely unknown. So fragments of their rubber equipment were found on or near Angel uh, Angel Island, okay? Right. A former immigration station that was uh, their intended I- intermediate destination. So they're going to go stop there and then keep going. Do you know the other island that's like Angel Island? No. Ellis Island. Those are the two. We have the West in, in, uh, in, uh, Reception Center, uh, the West Coast Reception Center. It's called Angel Island. Then you have the East Coast Reception Center for like... Uh, I knew I knew Ellis Island. We've actually been mm-hmm. to Ellis Island. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Angel Island is the West Coast one. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah. Well, now you're welcome. <laughs> now I've learned something today. You get a, one of those. There you go, buddy. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, see, now I know. Yeah. Ah. And all the better now. Now I feel great because once I go on Jeopardy and talk to Alex Trebek, I'll be like, Alex, Ellis Island is exactly like Angel Island. Pretty sure Alex Trebek passed away, didn't he? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, they were finding all these different parts and pieces of the uh, the makeshift um, raft they made, right? Okay, we got that? Yep. Okay. All From aboard. Huh? All aboard. Okay. From Angel Island, the men had actually planned to swim to the Marin County mainland, uh, according to West here, and then steal new clothes from a retail store. So West is just diamond the whole thing out. Probably, mm. He's probably pissed. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting there like, I'll tell you everything you want to know. Fuck it. <laughs> it's not my fault I overslept. Yeah. They wake me up. Yeah, they didn't wake me up, bastards. So, however, no one reported such a crime, like stealing clothes from a retail store. Gotcha. That was never reported. No one ever said anything about clothes being stolen. No, because probably what happened was when they actually did steal the clothes, the person there was like, fuck, I forgot to do a count last night. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah, we, we, got, we have everything. We're it's good. possible. I mean, it's possible. Maybe they just didn't notice. Yeah. It is possible. Some speculated that the men had died before reaching shore, although no bodies were found in the bay. And uh, they could easily have been swept out to sea by the current, which we discussed before. Nobody <laughs> knows. Nobody, no crime. So the years since, uh, the years since, nearly six decades of silence from the men led many to conclude that the escape had it failed. They died. Right. But okay. if you escaped from prison, why would you want anyone to know that you escaped from prison? It's a very good, uh, very good uh, hypothesis. Like, I don't... Very good question you have there. Yeah, sure. Yes, quite ponderous, I might say. Oh, yes. yes, it's very, very loquacious of you. Loquacious. And very, very v- v- verbose. Oh. Verboten, if you will. Very. 
I don't even know what those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so anyway, yeah, and obviously, like, why would they say anything? Yeah. Right. So the FBI closed its case in 1979, concluding that the escapees were unlikely to have survived a treacherous swim of more than a mile of frigid waters to the mainland. Uh-oh. But in January of 2018, CBS San Francisco published an, an extract of a letter addressed to the FBI that told an altogether different story oh, really? and claimed that the uh, old criminals here had been at large since the 1960s. Okay? Mm. Quote, My name is John Anglin. It read, mm. I escaped from Alcatraz in June 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we all made it that night, but barely. So that's what the letter reads. That's crazy. Okay. The letter was sent to the San Francisco Police Department's Richmond station in 2013. The broadcaster reported, but had been, um, you know, the broadcaster had reported or whatever, but it had been kept under wraps during a lengthy investigation. Okay. So. so the FBI got this and they're just like, let's not say anything to anybody. Okay. So an FBI laboratory examined the letter for fingerprints and DNA and analyzed the handwriting within the letter, but the results were inconclusive. Quote, so that means yes, and it means no. So this leaves everything in limbo. Security analyst Jeff Harp told in CBS. <laughs> what does that even mean? So that means yes, and it means no. So this leaves everything in limbo. That's to be my answer for everything now. <laughs> that is black, and it is white. Everything is in limbo. <laughs> the fuck are you talking about, Jeff? <laughs> so in the letter, the writer explained that he was the last living member of the trio with his co-conspirators dying in 2005 and 2008. He offered a deal. If authorities announced on television that he would receive a single one-year jail sentence in which he could have the medical treatment he needed, quote, I will write back to let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke, hmm. end quote. The FBI, well, they didn't fucking do anything. Instead, they just kept the letter a secret. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Right. Though this is the first time anyone purported to being um, one of the men actually contacted authorities, it isn't the first evidence suggesting that they actually made it out. Or they, they successfully escaped, if you will. Escaped. Robert uh, Chechi, an officer with the San Francisco police, reported seeing what he described as a pristine white boat out in the bay on the night of the men's disappearance. It had no lights on, but appeared to have someone on board shining a flashlight into the water. Police followed up on the sighting, but couldn't find the owner of the strange boat or where it went. Hmm. Could they have swam to the boat? Did they have somebody outside that could have been in a boat out there and they just swam to the boat? Hey, if you can make it to a boat and then that boat can go wherever the fuck you want. Right. Bye, bitch. Might have just been a, a, a thing of happenstance. Maybe some guy was out in the bay over in the wharf and he was fishing illegally and he didn't want to get caught. And they were like, hey, listen. Hey, baby. <laughs> out there looking for boobies. Out there looking for boobies. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just need one shot. <laughs> so more recently, a 2015 history special showed um, an, an alleged photograph of the brothers in Brazil some 13 years after the disappearance. Family members of the men have also reported strange experiences that suggest there may be more to the story than a lot of people think. Quote, it's always been talked about through the family. David Widner, a, uh, a nephew of John and Clarence Anglin, the brothers here, he actually told this to CBS. Quote, my grandmother received roses for several, several years after the escape. If Anglin is still alive today, he would be nearly 90, okay? 
So uh, it actually he'd be over ninety now. Yeah. And no one's ever heard from anything from him since. Right. Okay. This is the the guy who was you know the old guy that's like it's me. But again, why would you want anyone to know you're? Well, yeah, and especially if you never if they if he sent the letter and then they never even responded to the letter. Right. Fuck off. And if he had cancer, he probably died. Right. So, Winter expressed dismay that authorities had not contacted the family about his relative's alleged illness. Quote, for him to say he had cancer and was dying, I feel like they should have at least reached out to the family and let them know the letter existed. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 100%. But federal authorities have been quick to, uh, to basically say that it's bullshit. Okay. Right. In an interview with CBS San Francisco, the U.S. Marshals investigating the cold case told the broadcaster they considered the lead closed with no merit and a simple hoax from someone hoping to scam and embarrass federal and local authorities. Okay, so saying it's just bullshit. I mean, that's a possibility. It is. Devil's advocate. It is. It is very possible. It seems very unlikely. But why not follow up on it, though, to find out? Right. Even if it is a hoax. Just play the game. Yeah. Play the game. Play the game on the rock. On it's the like rock. shish. If you like to play shish. We are a league of extraordinary gentlemen. You take the piece and throw it up. And if my queen gets your king, maybe he'll see her boobies. <laughs> <laughs> ah, she has birds, is what I'm saying. Yeah, she's got a right. A so the queen has birds, yeah. right? And, yeah. and and the king was just wanting to see the birds she had. Yeah, that's God, a, get your head out of your. Want to see the apiary, folks. isn't it? Right? Is that what it is? No. Huh? What's a bird cage thing? When you have a bunch of birds in a cage, we call that topiary, tapiary, apiary, tapioca. The fuck is that? <laughs> Braviary. What the fuck is that called? I believe it's a apiary. Is that an apiary? I believe so. I apiary was for bees. I believe that's called a hive. We are one. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, he goes on to say, the uh, the Federal Bureau of Prisons say that the, they drowned once they got off of Alcatraz and their bodies were swept out to the Pacific Ocean. End of story. Okay? That's what he said. Roger, or Ranger John Cantwell. Nice. End of story. I'm not talking about this anymore. Yeah, why would you ask the National Park Service Ranger yeah. <laughs> about an escape convict? Listen, me and Yogi Bear, we say it's over. All right? That's it. Yeah. Hey, boo-boo. Hey, hey boo-boo. You want to go find us some uh, picnic baskets with uh, a couple of uh, escape convicts? <laughs> Jeez, Yogi. I think they made it. I don't know what you're talking about, boo-boo. <laughs> Let's go get ourselves a picnic basket. Hey! So the prison was closed permanently in 1963, a year after these men had vanished. Today, it hosts more than a million tourists a year often drawn to the site by the story of the Anglin Brothers, which was adapted for the screen. This is the movie I was talking about, not the other one. Ah. Uh, in 1979, called The Escape from Alcatraz. John Anglin's cell, where the men made their exit, is a popular attraction. It's preserved almost perfectly with the same gaping hole in its teal-painted wall, but even the crime scene offers few answers as to where these great escapees wound up. Where the fuck did they go? Did they die? It is possible. Yeah. But then you've got all this shit where people are saying... Uh, She's been getting, the grandmother or mother was getting roses all the time. And then you got the note from the guy and stuff. Listen, nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't, know. don't know. And we already know one guy made it. We do. And he just happened to have a really fucked up looking pass. Yeah. And he went back. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like this. <laughs> it keeps getting higher. I don't know why. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> All right, so last but not least for escapes on Alcatraz, or from Alcatraz, should I say. Darrell Lee Parker and uh, John Paul Scott on December 16th of 1962. Scott and Barker climbed out of the jailhouse basement kitchen window and headed for the bay to swim their way to freedom. However, 
Both of these guys were forced to change their plans due to strong currents. At the foot of the Golden Gate Bridge, John Paul Scott arrived on the mainland hours later, tired and hypothermic, while Parker was found on a small outcropping of rock not far away from the island. And now, boys and girls, it's your favorite part of the show, the movie review. Which top ten movies will make the cut today? Today. Today, see? Yeah. So yeah, that, uh, I, I don't know. I thought this was a cool story. And uh, the fact that, again, we don't know if they died. We, we don't know. We have no proof that they died. Right. We, we've got six individuals mm-hmm. that are completely unknown. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, five. The one guy, he made it, but yeah, they, they got him back. So yeah. there's five people total right. that may be dead, yeah. but may not be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so let's talk about the best prison escape movies. From one of our favorite sites. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about Ranker. Oh, yeah. Ranka. Ranka. Oh, I just like Ranker because it's got all the, uh, you know, the other lists and stuff on it. Right. So let's see here. Number 10 on our list. We're going to go from number 10, right? All right. Number 10 is Escape from Pretoria. It's got uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. That's your boy, isn't it? I mean, he's he's a dude. Didn't he? Is he the guy that just played uh, Weird Al? Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I'm dying. I got to see it. It's pretty good. I got to see it. I heard it's pretty good. Yeah. So that's number 10 on the list. Uh, sentenced to a South African prison for 12 years, anti-apartheid activist Tim Jenkins and his fellow inmates devise a daring plan to escape. It's just got 38 votes. It doesn't say shit. Came out in 2020. Yeah. 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 Uh, ooh, number nine. The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh. Ooh. Jim Caviezel, Guy Pierce, and Dagmara Damanichk. 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 Uh, 2002, uh, the classic story of an innocent man wrongly but deliberately imprisoned and his brilliant strategy for revenge against those who betrayed him. Dashing young sailor Edmund Dantes is a... It goes on. Anyway, you guys know the story of, of this whole thing. Yes, the Count of Monte right. Cristo. This is number 430 of 715 of the greatest chick flicks ever made. Oh, boy. Mm. I don't even want to know what number one is. It's got to be The Notebook. I, I bet you. It's got to be The Notebook. No, it's actually a really good movie. What? 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, well, it's a really right. good movie. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, get out of here. Number 88 of 388 of the best movies based on books, and number 17 of 194 of the best adventure movies. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, sounds cool. I've seen it. It's 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 okay. Yeah. Number eight, classic movie, Cool Hand Luke, starring Paul Newman, George Kennedy, and J.D. Cannon. When petty criminal Luke Jackson, Paul Newman, is sentenced to two years in a Florida prison, uh, a prison farm, excuse me, he doesn't play by the rules of either the sadistic warden or the yard's resident, I don't know. I guess I'm not Sounds just... like the plot to The Longest Yard. It, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah. Great movie, by the way. Yes. Uh, number 142 of 456 of the most quotable movies of all time. Number 10 of 132 of the best movies all inspiring, oh wait, the best movies all aspiring actors must watch. And number one of 74 of the best George Kennedy movies. Oh. Yeah. Number seven on our list, Escape Plan. Such a good movie. You know what I'm saying? It's me and Arnold. Yes, we're going to do it. The best part of that movie, me and Rocky, when they're trying to start the the actual escape, and Sylvester or not Sylvester, oh, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He walks over to these dudes and he goes, "I hear your ma, she really knows how to polish a German helmet, you know." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" All right, Arnie, <laughs> I like it. Um, this one's not on any other lists, and yeah, it's it's these guys trying to break out, right? Yeah, they that's, made like four of these movies. Yeah, first one was great. Yeah, so that's that's the first one I assume. Yeah, uh, number six, The Way Back, uh, Jim Sturgis, Ed Harris, and Colin Farrell from 2010. 
Denounced by his wife as possible spy, a, a possible spy in 1939, Janouz finds himself in a remote Siberian labor camp. That sounds horrible. Faced with brutal conditions inside and out, he is de- determined to escape. This sounds nothing like Doctor Who. Excuse me? What? Why would it be Doctor? The Way Back. The thing that he traveled Nope. No, damn. No clue. I have no idea. Damn. Number 58 of 77 of the best movies about not giving up. Number 15 of 31 of the best prisoner of war movies. And number 4 of 16 of the best Jim Sturgis movies. Huh. There you go. Number 5, Papillon. Oh, yes. Starring Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman, and Victor Jory from 1973. Convicted murderer Henry Sherrier. 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 Okay. Known as Papillon for his butterfly chest tattoo, is transported to a French, uh, to French Guyana to serve his sentence in a work camp. Wasn't Steve McQueen that uh, same guy who played in that one movie with the really nice Mustang? Was it called Bullet? Yes. That was Steve McQueen? Yes. Okay. Yes. I believe, didn't he? He died in his car because he was like, right? Steve McQueen's the one that is, no, was he? Who am I thinking of? No. Yes. Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, number 70 of 194 of the best adventure movies. Number 17 of 45 of the best movies about making an escape. And number 41 of 200 of the best thriller movies rated PG. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, number four. Ooh, good yes. movie. The Fugitive. Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, Cela Ward. Uh, 1993. Let's see here. Number 17 of 50 of the 50 highest grossing 90s movies. Uh, number two of 109 of the best movies of 1993. And number two of 22 of 21 movies based on live action TV shows ranked by their accuracy. <gasps> this came out the same year as Jurassic Park, really? Huh. I guess. Interesting. Wrongfully accused of murdering his wife. Richard Kimball escapes from the law in an attempt to find her killer and clear his name. Pursuing him is a team of U.S. Marshals led by Deputy Samuel Gerard. <laughs> Gerard. <laughs> a determined detective who will not rest until Richard is, a, is captured. As Richard leads the team through a series of intricate chases, he discovers the secrets behind his wife's death and struggles to expose the killer before it is too late. Starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, and Celia Ward. <laughs> great movie. It's a great movie. Yes. Even the second one wasn't horrible. I like the second one. I, I didn't think it was bad. It was It was, It was. was okay. It was all right. It was, it was all right. Um, what, what, what are you doing, Ranker? <laughs> the Ranker said, oh, your computer is broken. The Ranker said, go fuck yourself. But guess what? I got number three on mine. Uh, you, you want to do it? Sure. Oh, wait, I got it. Oh, never mind. Fuck yeah, go ahead. Do it. No, it's fine. Fuck me. No. <laughs> no, go ahead. Do it. <laughs> Number three, The Great Escape. Ah. Another Steve McQueen, James Garner, Richard Attenborough. Released in 1963, imprisoned during World War II in a German POW camp. A group of allied soldiers are intent on breaking out, not only to escape, but also to draw Nazi forces away from Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I know this guy. Yeah, you've been there? Oh. Seen it? No, I've not seen it. Oh. It's not very good, I don't think. Oh, damn. Sorry. Well, apparently, it's number 50 of 306 on the greatest movie themes. Mm-hmm. Number 171 of 247 on the best rainy day movies. And that's all I got. And number two of 14 of great war movies with hardly any violence in them. Well, that seems boring. Yeah, why would you want that? Number two, um, rightfully named, Escape from Alcatraz. Fair enough. Okay. Starring... Lady Eastwood. You're feeling lucky. Mm. Punk. You're probably thinking to yourself. Does he like boobies? <laughs> I do like boobies. Is she more of a red-footed booby or and, a blue-footed booby guy? And I like parrots. And falcons. 
1979, Don Siegel. Number nine of 84, the best movies based on nonfiction books. Number two of 20 of 20 underrated prison movies that deserve to break out. Get it? <laughs> and number three of 115 of the best movies of 1979. And uh, I'm pretty sure you guys know what this oh, is all about. Shit. Yeah, I just told you the whole premise of it. That, uh, that list or whatever of the movies that should like break out, number one is Animal Factory. Have you seen that? Oh, that's with uh, 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 well, Willem Dafoe and fuck, what is his name? Uh, Danny Trejo's in it. Um, who the fuck is... Is it an escape movie? Like, yeah, what? it's a prison movie. Oh. And it's, it's called what? Animal Factory? Animal Factory, yeah. It's got Mickey it. Rourke, Danny Trejo, Simon Castle, Tom Arnold, directed by Steve Buscemi. Oh, boy. It's a fucking... It's a, gr- it's a, gr- it's a great movie. Yeah? Great movie. I'll have to check it out. And number one, of course, on the list would be the Shishini Redemption. Shishini? Shawshank Redemption. Shishini Hamde. Chicago. <laughs> yeah, Shawshank Redemption. Great, great, great freaking movie. You guys know about this one. And if no you haven't, you need to go watch it because you should. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Robbins, Morgan Freeman, and Bob Gunton. Gunton? Yeah, Gunton. Uh, in 1994, like I said, Andy Dufresne is sentenced to two consecutive lifetimes in prison for the murders of his wife and her lover and is sentenced to a tough prison. However, only Andy... No, hold on. <laughs> only Andy knows he didn't commit the crimes. While there, he forms a friendship with Red Morgan Freeman. Experiences brutality of prison life, adapts, helps the warden, and all that shit. All in 19 years. That's funny. All I know is the best, it's just Andy Dufresne. <laughs> so awesome. Number one of the best movies of the 90s out of uh, 440. Yeah, it's great. Number seven of 375 of old, quote, old movies every young person needs to watch in their lifetime. Fuck me, why is that on a list? <laughs> why is that even a list? Oh, you want to know what number one is on that list? Yeah. Old movies, uh, Casablanca. Nope. Ooh, really? Back, um, back to the Future. Shut up. That's literally number one. Number two is Ghostbusters. Number three is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right. Whoever, fuck whoever made Star that Wars? list. Star Wars? Fuck whoever made that list. <laughs> Jurassic Park? That's I'm, an old movie. I'm sitting here thinking like Casablanca. Like yeah, originals. Yeah, like, like Gone the with good, the Wind. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Yeah. Like good, good movies. Get Jesus. Fuck it. Beetlejuice is on. Oh, God, get the fuck out of here. And in our last one here, number two of 126 of the greatest directorial debuts of all time, and that was Frank Darabont. Mm. That's who did that. So, there, yeah, there, there's your movies. Kind of sad. Death Race wasn't on here. Death Race? That's such an amazing movie. Have you seen that? Yeah. With, uh, uh, what's his name? Jason Statham? That's not the original. I know it's not the original. Yeah. The original one came out in 79, right? Yeah, 70s. I'm not 70s. Sure, exactly sure. Yeah. It was weird. So, anyway, that's uh, that's uh, that's Alcatraz. You know what I'm saying? That's the escapes from Alcatraz. Oh, supposed escapes from Alcatraz. And thank you for visiting The Rock. <laughs> Gentlemen... Welcome to Rock. Well, you get to see a lot of boobies. <laughs> if you look over to your left, you'll see boobies. <laughs> I like the boobies. Anyway. Uh, you know the other movie that should have been on that list as well, too? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That was a good one. It probably was later on, like later down. Yeah. All right, so listen, that is it. What do you think, Logan? You think they they made it? Um, yeah, actually, they did. I'm hoping they did. I I really do. I, I hope I hope they made it because... You know, it, then it just makes the the facility and the people that run the facility look that much worse. Yeah. You know, I mean, like opening. Uh, don't get me wrong. The guys uh, for the Battle of Alcatraz, those guys who were like, you know, killing, yeah. you know, guards and stuff, horrible. Right. But opening fire on innocent inmates. Yep. Fucked up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, that's. I hope they made it. I hope they did. And I want to know what you guys think. Do you, do you do you know? Do you know these guys? 
Have you talked? Have you? Does your grandparents maybe know them? Oh shit! Possible. I mean, you know. Now, if you don't know, now you know. Now you know. <laughs> so make sure to stop over to our official website, themidnighttrainpodcast.com. Over there, you can buy some super sweet, They're super sweet merchandise. <laughs> that, that's good. Where you can get all kinds of shirts and, and hats and stuff like that, like the uh, Duke of Fingerbomb shirt. See, yeah, yeah, yeah right. see, yeah. And all kinds of good stuff. So get over there and do that. Support the show. Get some gear and be cool. And guess what? I've kind of decided on something. Oh, shit. We were uh, putting uh, commercials in our uh, the the regular episode mm-hmm. for regular listeners, not the Patreon ones. And then we're going to send it over to the you know Patreons ad-free or whatever. Yeah. I get so annoyed when I hear the same commercials over and over again on, uh, on like other podcasts I listen to. Mm-hmm. It drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Good. If you guys want to support uh, and support us and our advertisers and you know get some cool stuff and get discounts on that and whatnot, just go to the Midnight Train Podcast and click on advertisers or yeah. um, sponsors. That's it, sponsors. Do it. Just do that. Help us out. There's all kinds of cool stuff like Dr. Squatch. There's Wise Cameras. There's the Craft Beer Club and the uh, the Wine Club. Yeah. Sure. So get over there, get yourself some discounts on stuff. Do it. Other than that, I'm I'm tired of that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm over it. it. I'm over it. Plug it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Anyway, if you like what you've heard from us, consider being a producer of the show. Throw us some bones. Yeah, man. You know, say here, guys, you guys did well on Alcatraz. Here's right. a couple of dollars. You can even you can even do it PayPal and send Actually, us a one time thing. You know what would be really nice? What is if they could do that for us? So we can go get some like voice acting lessons. That would help. That way we can actually sound like Sean Connery. I don't sound like him. I mean, do I sound like Sean Connery? <laughs> yeah, but you can send one. Listen, if you think we do awesome and you want to just give us like a couple of bucks or whatever it is because you just want to support the show, you can do that. The Midnight Train Podcast at gmail.com through PayPal. Um, we don't ask anybody of anything. Like, we don't expect anything, especially. Listen, times are hard for a lot of people. Don't feel obligated at all. But if you do want to help and you want to do it on a monthly you know, basis and you want to get all the bonuses, you can sign up over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the Midnight Train Podcast, or just go to the Midnight Train Podcast.com and you can sign up over there. You know, it's that easy. Again, if you guys can, cool. If you can't, not a big deal. Just keep listening. Tell friends about the show. Yeah, so easy. That's Dave it. Man can do it. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. So now, of course... You can always find us on all of our socials. Oh, yeah. See, of course, out there. We're on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Oh. That Twitter for profile. Instagram. Oh. Did you hear about that? No. It's like a telegram, but it's instant. Did you hear that? Oh, that's yeah. actually that's kind of fucking smart. <laughs> <laughs> we're over there on that TikTok. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's where they're sitting there, and they're playing those, they have those moving pictures oh. all the time. You can you can see them right there on your, your cellular device. It's pretty wild and crazy and can't be stopped. Did you see that? <laughs> also, over on the YouTubes. If you haven't done that yet, that's where like you can actually watch full-fledged videos of people. Actual moving pictures. Yeah. Whole moving pictures. And autopsies. It's amazing. Yeah. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> and also do us a favor. If you listen on Spotify, please rate us as well as over on Apple Podcasts. And uh, wherever you can rate us, rate us. Give us five stars. We'd appreciate that. Leave a review. We've got some reviews coming uh, once uh, Satan gets back so he can actually um, you know, drop the reviews for everybody. Yes. They're out there looking for... Sam Socks. We'll see how that goes. Listen, honestly, we cannot thank you guys enough for all the support and uh, just just being as awesome as you are, especially talking to us on the uh, you know the Facebook um, private socials, the private group that we have on there. Oh yeah, it's lots of fun. The most selective yeah. group. So thank you so much for that. But most importantly, thank you so much to our fearless, amazing executive producer, first class passengers, aka the poopers. Oh yeah, still there. Still there. 
Of course, the George de Jesus, Megan McTerry, Thomas Life Sabota. What a great name you got there, Thomas Life. Yeah, that's pretty great. Amanda Dance, Chris Lucas. Oh, I knew Chris Lucas. I knew uh, old man Lucas. I wonder if that's old man Lucas' son. I used to go back, back in the farm with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Zachary Danielson, Joseph Aramo. And again, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce that. <laughs> All I'm saying, it sounds foreign there. You know what I mean? You sound like a foreigner is what I'm saying. See? <laughs> To Kelly Ryan, Nathan Dickman, Nicholas Cooper, Caitlin McKenney, Trent Scott, Spencer Dunlap, Jacob Cook, Maggie Brothers, Miles Campbell, Brian Gunzelman, Colleen Cox, Pumpkin Escobar. Escobar. Mac Doherty, Tanner Cox, Sydney Sayer, Janet Sherrell, Cheryl, 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 I can't even say that right. Chad Flint, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from That There Fun Box podcast. Oh, it's a fun box. Yeah. I'm losing my shit. Christina Skelton and uh, Skelton and Jessica Bartolome over there of that Sister Skelton podcast. And that's not like Sister Skelton or Sister Skelton. Skeleton. It's like skeletons in your closet, see? See? It's not like that. It's, a, it's the opposite thing. See? Son, you listen to me over there. I'm listening. Yeah, you're paying attention. It's All right. Hard. <laughs> to Maria Gibbs to Chainsaw. What the fuck? Hey, out there, guy. There, he goes vroom vroom. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> to his son Jigsaw, he goes vroom vroom. Not as high, not as low. You know what I mean? And uh, to Rick Resler, Courtney Bachelor, Katie Brabinick, and of course, our one and only Bill Birch. Oh, good for you. Hey, good for you there, buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> So do us a favor, spread the word. Please let people know about the show. And if you want your name to be mentioned on the show and for me to just fuck it up or whatever you want, um, listen, just become a Patreon subscriber. And uh, yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. So I don't know. That's Alcatraz. This was your tour of The Rock. <laughs> and uh, that's us saying bye-bye. So stay safe out there, passengers. And as always, choo-choo, motherfucker. I believe it's choo-choo, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Watch out for those boobies. On the rock.